and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacy McKenna, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Winfield Myers of MEF's Campus Watch and Clifford Smith of the Washington Project join us to discuss how Congress can reform, start reforming Middle East studies. Mr. Myers and Mr. Smith will speak for roughly five to 10 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the question box located at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar today, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Winfield Myers and Mr. Clifford Smith. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, we appreciate this, and thank you to everyone who is tuning in. Title VI of the Higher Education Act of 1965 is our subject. It was founded by Congress with the original intent of producing area studies and language specialists who would enter academe, uh, the CIA, various intelligence agencies, and become policy advisors in uh, various capacities, military and otherwise, to lend support to efforts to increase American security. It was during the Cold War, and people were very concerned about American security um, internationally. It funded and still does fund a variety of different areas, including Middle East studies, our subject for today. Uh, after 9-11, funding for Title VI uh, area studies and language studies was increased tremendously. And by that point, the people who were entering those graduate programs or undergraduate programs entered a field which had become, in the intervening decades, highly politicized, uh, reliably anti-American, anti-Western, anti-Israel, and they remain such today. Um, this is a, a systemic problem that uh, the taxpayer dollars are used to support uh, efforts to really undermine the best interest and the security of the United States. And it is uh, something that we are working on to reform in Washington. And uh, with that, I will turn this over to my colleague, Clifford Smith. So this issue um, really sort of got a head of steam um, recently when Congressman George Holding of North Carolina sent a letter to the Department of Education um, basically saying that the Duke UNC Middle East Studies Consortium was a joint project, um, had, um, had sponsored a rapper, a Palestinian rapper that had openly said he was an anti-Semite and used all kinds of anti-Semitic slogans and encouraged the audience to join him in being an anti-Semite. It was really toxic stuff. And basically is what he said in his letter was, look, they have academic freedom, they have freedom of speech, they can do whatever they want. However, this program is created by a Title VI center, and they are receiving federal dollars for this Title VI center. I don't think taxpayer dollars should go to this kind of programming. You should do some kind of investigation into what's going on. Um, Secretary DeVos um, then sent a letter back saying, this does concern me, we're going to investigate. Um, then um, some of the going back and forth between um, Duke UNC and um, uh, the Department of Education isn't public. What is public is a few months later, the Department of Education sent a public letter to Duke UNC that was published in the Federal Register, which essentially says, hey, um, Title VI is for a specific purpose. It's for American national security. You cannot just use it for anything. Um, all the things you have told us you are using Title VI money for, um, among other things, you know, gender studies in Iran or analysis of different Middle Eastern films and such, 
it might be interesting, it might be allowable under academic freedom, but it's not the appropriate use of Title VI funding, which was appropriated and authorized by Congress for a specific reason and has certain legal requirements. Um, this, strangely, just asking the university to uphold its side of the bargain in terms of what they should be spending this money on was seen as a huge um, uh, you know, blow to uh, academia in the eyes of academics, which have gotten so used to spending the money on whatever they want that someone even asking them to uphold their heart of the bargain um, was something new. I mean, Jewish groups in particular, but others have been complaining about some of the issues with these programs for a long time. But this was the very first time anybody had actually asked them to uphold their side of the bargain in a substantive way. Um, after this, we got in contact with some more people at the Department of Education and said, hey, look, this is a great first step, but we need more. And um, they pointed out that, um, you know, a lot of other universities have these kinds of problems. And uh, Winfield and the good people at Campus Watch um, had done a lot of research on a lot of different um, Title VI funded centers and noted a lot of things that are problematic about them. For example, um, a lot of support of the BDS movement, which singles out Israel for boycotts, a lot of foreign dollars going to Title VI centers, um, Title VI centers getting money from foreign governments that are non-democratic, sometimes interests are diametrically opposed to America, is needless to say, a conflict of interest with funds that are supposed to be used for American national security. So they said more of these centers need to be called out. If more of these centers are getting called out, um, then we can do more investigation. Hopefully we can start to really fix this program. Um, working with um, Campus Watch, we had started informing some of our friends in Congress about some of these problems. Um, and that this has paid some dividends. Um, Congressman Riggleman, a uh, congressman from Virginia wrote a letter to um, Secretary DeVos in late December um, concerning Title VI abuses at Georgetown University, which again includes some of the same things we're talking about. Open support for BDS, um, which is against the purpose of the program. Um, all kinds of foreign funds flowing in, so on and so forth. Um, my understanding is this has gotten a lot of attention at the Department of Education. Um, I don't know the inner workings of it, but I know that this is something that they are working on. Not too much later, um, Congressman Gosar sent a letter, um, Congressman Gosar from Arizona, and he sent a letter concerning the University of Arizona, which had very similar problems of foreign influence, foreign money, um, support for BDS, things that should be diametrically opposed to the precise purpose of Title VI. And all of them are saying, look, you can do whatever you want. You can study whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. But if you're going to use federal money that has a specific purpose, you need to use it in accordance with the law. And another thing that Congressman Gosar brought up was that some of the stuff that had apparently been funded by Title VI, at least in part, um, was so brazenly anti-Semitic that it would violate laws against non-discrimination and such things um, that, was the the perp that was the subject of an executive order from President Trump in late December, basically saying that anti-Semitism should be treated like any other racial discrimination or other discriminatory under existing laws. So Winfield, you can say more about Trump's executive order on combating anti-Semitism. Sure, he issued this on December 11th. It was called his executive order on combating anti-Semitism. It applies the other Title VI to universities regarding anti-Semitism. The other Title VI being, uh, not to be confused, there are two Title VI's. They're very often confused even by people who 
uh, should know better because it's, it's a confusing term. Unfortunately, they both call Title VI. But the Title VI that the, the president's executive order applies is Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And under that, uh, universities that use federal dollars, which of course are most universities, to sponsor or advance anti-Semitism can be held responsible. And the penalties for this are far more draconian if they are ever put into place than those for Title VI of the Higher Education Act. Because under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, all federal funding can potentially be cut from a university that violates that act. And uh, as Cliff mentioned, many of these Title VI recipients are advancing BDS uh, left and right. And uh, the president's order applies the, um, uh, the definition of the International Holocaust Alliance to Remembrance Alliance to um, universities. And through that uh, definition, BDS or the denial of Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state uh, is in fact a violation of the 64 Civil Rights Act. Uh, so these universities, as Representative Gosar pointed out, and he was speaking especially about the University of Arizona, but I think we can apply this to other schools as well, potentially, uh, is in danger of losing all federal funding, which again is a draconian move. I don't know how likely that is, but uh, if you want to get a university's attention, uh, discuss pulling all federal funding from them, not just from the Middle East Studies program, but from hospitals, sciences, Pell Grants, everything uh, yanked out from under them. So I can give you an example or two, if you would like, of, um, of, of uh, Title VI abuse. Let me give you one that really goes straight to the heart of this. And that's with Judith Tucker, a professor at the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies at Georgetown University. Uh, I choose her because Tucker is very high profile. She is the immediate past president of the Middle East Studies Association, or MISA. Uh, MISA is the umbrella academic organization, the primary one for scholars in this field. Uh, at her um, going away party, you could almost call it, at the last, at last year's MISA uh, conference, a national conference, uh, rather than delivering a presidential address herself, which is customary, she chose uh, to give a keynote address, Mark Lamont Hill. Uh, Hill is a professor of communications at Temple University. He has no academic training or expertise in Middle East studies or area languages. He was chosen solely because he is viciously, vehemently anti-Israel. Uh, you may remember Hill was actually fired by CNN uh, for going before the UN and in a speech before them uh, reflecting on the Hamas call for Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, which is an eliminationist call, uh, meaning the obliteration of Israel as a Jewish state. So that's who uh, Tucker chose to come into MISA and deliver a keynote speech, a man with no academic experience in this field, but who had all of the credentials necessary to fulfill MISA's goal of uh, bashing and uh, ultimately even eliminating Israel. Um, Tucker, like many of her colleagues, is supported with Title VI money. So this is your taxpayer dollars at work. And I want to point out one other sort of good, good example on that. Um, at Georgetown, for example, um, they have a board of advisors that um, oversees their Middle East Studies program, and several um, Gulf state luminaries are um, on their board of advisors. Um, Abdulrahman bin Saud al-Tahini, the Qatari Minister of State, is one of them. Um, Turkey al-Faisal um, al-Saud, the chairman of the King Faisal Research Center for Islamic Studies in Saudi Arabia, is another one. Um, again, 
I'm not necessarily saying anything about any one individual in particular, but when you have monarchical states, you know, dictatorships that are having oversight over monies that are US taxpayer funded, and clearly they have different values, different interests than the United States does, um, that should be seen as a problem. It's a conflict of interest. And whether or not these universities want to, you know, work with these people, take their money, whatever, that's their business to the degree allowed by law, but it shouldn't be intermingled with, again, funds that are for a specific purpose. And the universities are really flirting with the line, as Winfield put it, not only on losing their Title VI money, but losing more um, if, they can, if they are continuing to buddy up with anti-Semites and such in a way that is you know, so over the top, so vicious that it is um, violating not only the, the Title VI um, laws for higher education funds, but their entire federal funding potentially with the civil rights rules. All right, thank you both so much. We have come to our Q&A section. Uh, why can't professors who teach lies, not just their opinions, be removed or sanctioned? Removal of professor is a very difficult thing. A lot of them are protected by tenure. Uh, you immediately jump into the courts if you attempt to do this. Uh, they are protected, of course, by the First Amendment. Professors can say what do they wish. And um, when you get into what is true and what is false, unless they are teaching something that is demonstrably false, uh, empirically beyond the pale, which is difficult in a classroom in the humanities or the social sciences, uh, it's a very, very difficult and long process to try to do this. And so uh, we respect their First Amendment rights, just as we expect them to respect ours to critique them. And um, our goal at Campus Watch is to critique them, to expose them to a wide audience beyond uh, the campus. And um, in some cases, I, I couldn't agree more with some professors. Uh, it's unfortunate that they are teaching and they are brainwashing students. Uh, but removing professor is a, is a very difficult thing to do. It's a legal challenge uh, beyond the pale for most of us. I would simply say that I think that the, this is a long-term project. This is not something you're going to solve overnight. I think is what you really need to do is change the culture. I, I think getting universities used to the fact that, look, if you're going to accept federal money, you actually have to do with it what the money is for, is a start of a change of that culture. Other changes would be people like people that are watching this call, people that are active, people that are interested in these issues, you know, being active um, in their alumni associations, being active um, with donors that, you know, telling donors what their monies are going to, you know, those kinds of cultural changes take time. And that would lead to hiring of better university professors next time um, and hiring of new ones that actually have a truly diverse set of um, perspectives and that truly do, um, you know, have some form of objective um, teaching that isn't just driven purely by their own political agenda. If you're displeased with your alma mater, don't donate. Write the president, tell him, if it's a state school, write legislators and object. I agree. Great, thank you. What can be done about student organizations and colleges who refuse to allow pro-Israel speakers on campus? I think that a lot of them can probably be uh, de-recognized. I mean, part of being recognized by university uh, administration and receiving funds. Remember, when these are recognized, they often receive funds from the university. They have use of university facilities. Um, if you're not going to play by the rules, and the rules include free speech, uh, why recognize these groups? 
Has any Title VI funding been withheld yet from any universities? And how is that final decision made? Uh, no, um, none has yet been withheld. And that's actually what kind of makes this entire blow up so interesting is when the, um, the only, at least public action that um, is known so far is the um, Department of Education telling um, Duke UNC that basically they weren't really meeting the requirements of the grant and that what their programming was paying for was being paid for by Title VI money didn't really fit. However, they actually already sent the next year's Title VI money as they sent that letter. So there was never any real doubt that for the time being, they were still getting their funding, even ones that have already been sort of found by the Department of Education to not be fully complying with the rules. Um, I think that will change if things don't change at the university. I do think that uh, the current um, people at the Department of Education are serious about sort of um, sticking the screws to them, but they're taking a very metered, slow approach. And so it, it's it, what this tells you is kind of interesting though, because in other words, all the blow up, there were countless op-eds accusing the Department of Education of McCarthyism and you know, all kinds of crazy pushback from the education establishment. All of this because they were simply asked, you know, maybe you ought to uphold your part of the bargain with this little bit of your money. I mean, if they don't want to teach the kind of stuff that the government is asking them to with the government's money, they don't have to accept it. I don't think there's a single Title VI center that's in danger of going broke anytime soon. They have large amounts of money from state, other federal programs even. They have tons of money from donors, from private donors, from alumni, so on and so forth. So merely asking them to uphold their part of the bargain sort of caused this backlash, which shows you how big the problem is and why it is necessary to continue pressing on this issue. Thank you. In your opinion, why are so many academics so anti-Semitic and anti-Israel? That's a good question, and I, I don't know that I can give you a, a good answer other than that increasingly uh, Middle East studies in particular is being staffed by people with an axe to grind against Israel. Um, many of them are Middle Eastern origin themselves, increasingly uh, others have noted this for years and years and years. Uh, and uh, anti-Semitism is uh, acceptable on the extreme. It's acceptable on the extreme right, and it's acceptable on the extreme left. And the extreme left has been in control of academia now for many, many years. So it, it, it passes in what, what passes for polite company there, uh, if you will. Uh, it's systemic. And um, we see it all the time among Middle East studies professors. They make statements which, uh, were they made about any other uh, ethnic group, minority group, would be absolutely beyond the pale. And they would be fired. You ask about losing your job. I don't think there's any question that they would lose their job. But when they make it about uh, Jews or Israel, People just shrug their shoulders. It's not a big deal to most administrators. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wow, <laughs> that's very true. Um, if the colleges and universities don't reopen in the fall and stay online, what will the effect of the monitoring be? The effect of the monitoring? Um, for classrooms, that's an interesting question. We don't monitor classrooms per se. We get reports about classrooms sometimes. But if the classrooms go online, increasingly, uh, it'll be a question of copyright, a question of intellectual property rights that we would have to just speak to a council about because we don't want to invade uh, someone's property rights for that. But for monitoring of what they say publicly for uh, public panels, which can be broadcast through Zoom, just as this one is, uh, for their writings, 
uh, the monitoring will go on as it always has. Uh, in fact, it is possible that the uh, public lectures and panels will be more open to video than they have been in the past. Um, we have been, we've had our, our correspondents kicked out of some uh, ostensibly public lectures in Washington, for example, over the past few years uh, at Georgetown, at George Mason, and in other places, uh, just because they knew they were going to write uh, negative things about them and, and, and be crit critical of them. They were asked to leave. So, um, you know, at universities, Cliff mentioned the um, thin skin nature of academe when uh, this uh, letter from Representative Holding hit. This is something we see all the time. This is a, a profession unused to criticism, and they take criticism very, very poorly. Thank you. In your experience, are these cases supported by members of Congress on both sides? These cases being um, the letters that are being sent? Um, I guess I would say that um, it's, I mean, obviously all the members that have um, written letters raising these issues have been Republicans. Um, I think there are Democrats that are sympathetic um, to the plight of radicalism, um, burying your head in the sand for um, you know, foreign influence and for um, anti-Semitism. Um, I do think, however, that sort of the um, radical Islam leftist um, nexus um, is a real thing and that makes many Democrats fearful of being accused of being bigots or being you know, anti-Muslim or anti-Arab, and I think that makes them less um, less likely to reach out on this issue. So far, um, most have been pretty silent, unfortunately. I do hope that will change. I do think there are Democrats um, that understand this issue and care about it. It's just a matter of getting them to stand up to their base. Um, we certainly try. Um, we are, you know, nonpartisan. We work with everybody we can, um, but I do think it is a difficult issue for Democrats right now. All right, thank you both so much. Uh, on closing, could you just give us some examples of where to find some documentation or articles you've written to further learn about this and what, and reiterate again, I know you've already gone over it, but what we can do to try to change this going forward. Well, I say go to Campus Watch's website, uh, which is it's part of the Middle East Forum. You can go to the Middle East Forum website if you're more used to that. And you'll find under uh, Campus Watch Research, and various other uh, titles there. A lot of material that we have written on Title VI. Uh, there's actually a category called Title VI that you can click on and um, under institutions and you'll find uh, a wealth of information about Title VI over the past many years. Um, as to what we can do, um, I would say object. You know, as I said earlier, if you are a graduate of a university that is, whether it's Title VI or not, that is abusing its authority, that is politicized, biased, anti-America, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic. Don't give them money, first and foremost, and write to the president, the board of trustees, and if it's a state university, write to the governor, write to the legislators, and object to this. The more noise that comes out about this, the better, is what Campus Watch exists for, is to educate the public and to hold these professors responsible. And that's a big part of it, is, is voting with your dollars, voting with your feet and uh, making your objections known. I would also add one other small, very, very long-term thing. And that is, you know, if you know anybody that is interested in Middle East studies, that is interested in these kinds of issues that is young or you know, has ambition in this area, as difficult as it is, and it is extraordinarily difficult to get involved in a meaningful way, you know, to get those kind of tenured professorships, 
but you know, encourage them because in the long run, um, you know, the best counter to bad speech is better speech and bad, bad professors, good professors. So um, I think too many people um, for understandable reasons, but have been discouraged from entering um, academia because of these reasons. And I think that's counterproductive in the long term. I understand the reasons for it, but I think it's detrimental in the long run. I, I have been shaped in a, a lot by a the few um, professors that did have, um, you know, I would say more objective views on these kinds of things and willing to sort of hear both sides. I've been influenced by them a lot. I've been helped by them a lot. And I would hope there would be more out there over the, as time goes by. But of course, that's a much longer term issue. All right, thank you both. We have come to the close of our webinar. I'd like to thank Wynn and Cliff for joining us again today. Uh, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offering for next week. Thank you again for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.